Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, Hura Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Well, all right then. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, welcome. We have a wonderful friend, Vicky, is here to share her story, and thank you for coming, Vicky. Well, thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. And so you take it away. You tell us from start to finish, however you want to get there. And most stories aren't linear. So if you have to go back and forth, it's all good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, my name is Vicki and I, um, I am from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I was born and raised there. I, um, first started off my life as, uh, born to addicted mother of alcoholism and uh, from there I was about eight months when I was started being taken away and put into foster care and from there I moved on to a family um, a a white family and they um, started fostering me and then my mom wanted me back, so I kept going back and forth between my mom and this in the system in the system. And back then, it was called child child aid, so it wasn't even a CFS at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time I was five years old, the system finally decided that um, my mom, my mother wasn't able to take care of me, so I was adopted by uh, my family, and their names are Brian and Joyce. And so I grew up in a small little town outside the downtown core of Winnipeg in Transcona. So I can um, start my life there, and it started. Um, I guess when I was five, they finally got uh, the papers to adopt me, and I was adopted, and they were quite happy. And as I as I continue to grow up, I. Um, continued growing up with uh, an older brother. Uh, he was five years older than me, and he was also adopted when he was five. Um, I don't know his situation. And later on, they had two kids of their own and um, went to school. And from there, when in school, it was quite, it was quite hard because it was, there was a lot of prejudice um, in the system. Hmm. Um, from the time I was in kindergarten to grade 10, I, I got beat up a lot. I got physically, emotionally, uh, hmm. physically assaulted by people in the school. Um, so I, I put all my focus into my schoolwork and I was, uh, I was thankfully an A and B 
A's and B's in my classes, and I took off with that as a, a way a way and means of getting ahead, mm-hmm. and um, just put my a lot of studies. When I was home, I was quite I, I became isolated. I stayed in my room a lot, and um, I think because I couldn't deal with the fact that. Um, there was there was a time where I came and I told my father that there what was going on the school got involved uh, my dad got involved and he wanted me to stand up for myself and I didn't know how to mm-hmm. <laughs> so he um, his way of means of standing up for myself was to hit him like he t- he asked me to hit him and I mm-hmm. couldn't do it mm-hmm. it wasn't in my nature mm-hmm. um, why him though. I don't know. Maybe because hmm. he was bigger. <laughs> okay, fair you enough. Yeah. Maybe he was trying to get you to teach him how to punch, teach you how to punch yeah. or something. Or? I don't know. Hmm. I'm not sure. I just know that. Um, I like. I know that he wouldn't hit me back, right? Yeah. So, I think it was just a means of just facing my fears hmm. of something bigger than me, right? I got you. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I, as I was growing up in, in the home, um, I had, a, a my older brother from the ages of, hey, I, I'm pretty sure it was from like, I don't remember the ages. I just know it was just before I left home before 11 or 12 that he was sexually abusing me. And mm-hmm. when I came and I told my family, they didn't, they, they did nothing about it. Um, so I took it to the school and they got me um counselor in the school to help me start talking to them and then CFS became involved because I ran away from home finally mm-hmm. like my brother left first and then I I did right um the first time I drank I was 12 mm-hmm. <laughs> um it was in my parents cabinet before I went to school and uh they had an, it was just kind of like open open underneath the sink so it was easy to get and I um started drinking and lying and stealing and cheating to get what I needed because I liked the feeling right mm-hmm. so and it made me become more open you know I, I started becoming like more noticeable at mm-hmm. school I was a little bit more rowdier right I wasn't yeah. the quiet shy um person that I was and uh I like I liked what I, the attention that I was getting so I just continued with that um, the first time I smoked weed was, when I was 13, hmm. yeah, 13. And then, yeah, so I just continued going to school. And, um, when I left, when I was in, I ended up in foster care when I finally left home, I left, um, and I was going to school and, um, my foster mom, the first time I came home drunk, she took me to my very, very first AA meeting. Hmm. And I think I was like 17 years old. Wow. Um, so then she, um, introduced me to AA in Winnipeg and I, I took off with it, but I wasn't really kind of like, well, come on, I'm 17 years old. I'm mm-hmm. still a teenager. I still have lots of time to have fun. And You're just having again. a good time. Yeah. Right? Just having a good time. Yeah. That. So, and from there, um, I'm, um, there was a, a guy, well, I'm not going to say gentleman, a guy in that meeting that um, started taking to me and I didn't realize it until it was kind of really too late because he started showing up at my school 
he started showing, and then he found out where I was in a foster home, and him and his sister one day came, and they moved me out and moved me into his parents' place. And at the time, I was I was uh, 17, and he was 26 years old. Hmm. So um, it started off uh, kind of like he now had the control over me in the sense that he was older and he knew what I like what I needed and stuff like that and mm. you know kind of like tried to take over my life in the sense that um I don't know like he took me out of school so I was no longer going to school mm. I had no social life I had no like I wasn't in contact with my family anyways so he kind of knew that and um, Did he keep you isolated, kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was really abu- he became really abusive mm. later on. And my dad tried getting me out, but the police had said because um, it was my choice that I wanted to be there that they couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So there was no at that time there was no statutory, you know. Well, and law. and <laughs> if there was, it was younger than sixteen. So yes, it I was. think it was fourteen at one point, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so from there, I just, like, I managed to get a job. Um, I was working, and I was working at uh, the old Winnipeg Arena in Winnipeg uh, as a maintenance. He was working at Toys R Us, and I really honestly don't even know where my money went to mm-hmm. when I got paid. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I Did was you just, even see it, though, or no. was it, like, he would take it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I never really ever got to see the money or even mm-hmm. knew what it was or what, how much yeah. I was making or anything like that. So, And so just for some people out there who don't understand how that works with domestic violence, right, is yeah. the, the abuser will hold back all financial um, and whatever other th- things they can control, right, yeah. to keep you staying there, Yeah. right? Not that you need to know that, yeah. but it was more for people listening. So yeah, no, and you know that well enough. Yeah, and just kind of like taking a step back, I, I was kind of thinking like, actually, I was probably a little. I was probably like a year younger than that. Hmm. Like I probably was like fifteen when I first met him. Mm-hmm. So and I was probably like fifteen when I was in the foster care too. Yeah. Thinking back, because how I how I kind of figured that out is. Um, I became pregnant when I was 16, mm-hmm. and I had my first child when I was 17, mm-hmm. and that was his child. Mm-hmm. So that okay. became even more. Yeah. Um, by the time my son was eight months, him and his sister had total control over my son, and I yeah. wasn't able to see him. I don't know how I was able to turn it around, mm-hmm. but I was seeing also another guy at like uh, later on. I was within another relationship, and he was a really good person. Mm-hmm. I'm still friends with him today. Um, and his name was Raymond and he, he helped me through that. He got me back into school and he got me, you know, out of his hands, like out of his control Mm -hmm. sort of, and got me back into my meetings and he made sure that I was sober and taking care of my Mm -hmm. son, you know, cause later on we got him back through CFS Mm -hmm. and CFS took over. So. So then from there, I kind of like, um, I think my son was about um, later on, my son was about like three or four and I was living in the downtown area at that time. And, um, he was going in between us mm-hmm. in, uh, for visits and I, um, I got into a, another relationship 
Hmm. And this was, and, and a lot of my relationships here and out there in Winnipeg were men of people in mm. Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. Um, I didn't think I deserved enough. Mm. Like I, I honestly just thought that you know they were just normal people that I could just date and not even realizing the consequences of my actions of getting involved with them. Mm-hmm. Um, this the guy that I I dated. He was thirty six, and I think I was about twenty at that time. And I had my own place. And um, I think it was shortly before Christmas. Um, him and a friend of ours went out to Selkirk, I think it was, and that was the first place that they brought the VLTs out before mm. they started bringing them to the city, to the cities, I should say. <laughs> And that was the first time that I ever heard about VLT machines. And I didn't realize that this guy was a gambler and he was an addict. And shortly after Christmas, I uh, went to one of my meetings and he, people were asking me, have I seen him? Because it was like a week after. And I said no. And so I decided I would go over to his place and check on him. And um, I walked in and he had committed suicide. So that was um, a really, really, really tough, tough thing for me. After that, I tried to hang myself. Mm. And um, whatever reason, for whatever reason, I was able to untie tie the rope from my neck. And I ended up just leaving everything behind, my son, my apartment, everything, my friends and that. And I just took off because mm. I didn't know how to deal with it. So I went to Vancouver. I ended up in Vancouver. I hitchhiked all the way out there. And you got to remember, I'm like still 18 years old. Mm. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm I, hoping it's the summer, at least, when you're hitchhiking. It was, yeah. Okay. And, you know, back then it wasn't like it is today. I wouldn't hitchhike today. Yeah. I, I would tell people not to hitchhike. <laughs> no, not even as a single woman, you know. Yeah. It's it's really scary nowadays. Um so I managed to get out to Vancouver, and I ended up in a bar, a uh, strip club bar, and um, one of the girls introduced me to a, a guy, and this guy took me home, and he ended up spiking my drink, so I didn't remember nothing. Mm-hmm. And I woke up the next morning, and he said that he was going to sell me across the border to another pimp, and I didn't realize he was a pimp. And then he had me locked up in the basement for three days, and on the third day, I just started praying to my higher power, which I call God, because I believe in God. And Mm. he, the guy came and he let me go. And he says, if you ever come to Vancouver again, I will know. And um, so I left and I went back to Winnipeg and I never ended up coming back to Vancouver. Mm. So then I came back to Winnipeg and I found out I was pregnant with um, my... Uh, my my second daughter, or my first daughter, I should say, my second child, and so I had her. I was pregnant, I think, when I was 19, and I had her when I was 20. And at this time, I had nothing to do with my son or my ex my ex husband at the time, because we ended up getting married, mm-hmm. and I divorced him a week later. Like I left him a week later. Yeah. So then me and my daughter lived alone, and I started having contact with my family again, my mom and my dad. And my mom came into the situation, and she she was quite happy. Like, she was she was mm-hmm. happy to see my daughter and that. And I mean, there, there was so much in between the time that I was, I was living in that foster care to here. But, I mean, we don't have... <laughs> 
I'm not going to cover everything. I just know that I, um, at the time that I had my daughter, I was sober and I, um, the only thing is just, I didn't know I was pregnant with her until it was mm. three months. And when she, um, she was my miracle baby because there was a lady on the streets across the Salvation Army in Winnipeg that was called Love Lives Here, and they're a Christian organization. And this lady came up to me and told me her story and told her me about how she lost her son at birth. And um, I think at birth or after, just shortly after. And I was going to have an abortion that, the day after I had talked to her, and I decided not to. And today my daughter is 26 years old. Hmm. So she's, yeah, she's a miracle. And um, what a miraculous time. Timing. Right? Yeah. Like just unreal. Yeah. Yeah. God has been so good hmm. in my life, through my life, you know. And and then after, a year later, I had my, I had my, my third child. So I was, I think I was like 22, 21, 22, and he, um, I had him, and then two years later I had my third child, or my fourth child, I mm. should say, and then um, to, I think it was, because she was born in 96, so then my, my last child was born in 2000, mm. so I had like five children. I've had one miscarriage. Mm. I've had one abortion prior to my daughter. And then, yeah, five kids. So mm. I would have had seven kids already. So by then, and I would have only been 25. Wow. Um, so I, um, as these children came into my life, I continued to move along. Like I moved back into um, my hometown, Transcona, mm -hmm. with the kids and to a townhouse that was affordable and suitable. And I was on, I was an assistance and I was taking care of them. Um, I did, I managed to take care of all of them till my daughter, my, my oldest, like my oldest son wasn't in the picture, but my daughter was five and my youngest was eight months. And um, at that time, I, uh, like it, somewhere in that time frame, I, w I ended up in a relationship that I started drinking again. Mm -hmm. And this time it was full blown. I ended up leaving my kids with one babysitter and coming home to an empty house about two or three days later I blacked out for that whole time and I came back and there was a little card by the the phone and it said that if you you know when you're ready to contact the CFS and you know that they had taken the children mm. apprehended the children and for good reasons I uh, now I I know that 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 was a good thing because where they were at at the the last yeah. few days in the you know, that last day that they were together, apparently the people, the last people that were had them, had them all in one room mm. and they were downstairs partying in the house. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I later on found out that it was my best friend that had phoned CFS and got them, you know, taken, taken in that. Yeah. And it, for good reasons, and I can say now, because like all throughout those years, I wasn't always sober mm -hmm. and it wasn't always a good situation. Yeah. So. Sounds pretty chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was a single mom, you know, I was a single mom at that time. I was raising these children. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, I had outside support, the church and family and stuff like that. But I mean, you still, you still can't do five kids. <laughs> um, and the lot, like I said, the last relationship was the one that took me, took basically me and my kids out mm-hmm. basically. So, um, I worked with CFS really closely. A lot of people think that CFS is like just horrible. Mm-hmm. They just want to take your kids away, steal your kids, whatever, like, you know, just those kind of words I've heard. CFS to me, um, because I was willing to work with them, mm-hmm. they did they did um, supervised visitations inside the inside of the office. From that, they went. They allowed me to take my kids out mm-hmm. for walks outside of the place without anybody. And then later on, I got a a lady that supervised my visitations mm-hmm. at home, mm-hmm. and then I was able to get my kids back. Um, and so you had to work for it. I worked for it. Yeah, I worked for it. But you know what? I did it because I knew that CFS was there, and they really cared about mm-hmm. you know what was going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I ended up in a in another relationship that I was in, I would say off and on for 10 years. Okay. And my Those kid, are tough ones, eh? Yeah, my kids got to know him. They started calling him dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, um, the thing is, is that when I was at his place... We did a lot of drinking when we were at my place. We didn't. Hmm. And I don't know why that was, but um, I think more because the CFS was involved, right? Yeah. So the, um, so I ended up one day, I just called the lady that was supervising my, my family and I, or my, my supervised hmm. visitations or whatever. And, I just told her, I said, you need to come and get the kids. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm drinking again and I'm using um, crack and I'm using weed and I don't think my kids could be, Mm -hmm. I don't want them subject to this. So they came and took them and they ended up um, in foster care. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, the foster care families that had them, um, because I worked, I went to court and at this time my ex-husband wanted um, custody? Custody of our youngest, because mm. that was his, too. Okay. The first and the last child was his. Mm. And I, the courts had said no, because they, they had heard how he was raising our son, mm. and uh, it was unstable. So he was denied. He says that they said the only access he was going to have was supervised visitation through CFS, and mm. he, didn't, he didn't want it, so he got nothing. And then from there, I ended up, I signed the papers and I, I relinquished my children for adoption because I knew I couldn't, I couldn't raise them anymore. Mm-hmm. I couldn't give them the home that they needed and the people that they were in. Jesus, but, how hard was that decision to make though? That was hard. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I know we're just talking about it, but that must've been just awful. I think it was a lot harder because I've gone through it myself, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect from the courts. Yeah. But through the courts because I signed my papers, I signed them over, they allowed it to be an open adoption. Mm. So the difference between back then to now, back then there was no open adoptions. It was a closed policy. Mm-hmm. Today it was. And unbelievably, a week, I think it was like a month later maybe mm-hmm. that the native started saying that they wanted their own, their own, uh, the, 
culture to be in cul yeah. their culture, right? Like yeah. the, the natives with the natives instead of just putting them wherever mm. it's right. And trying to find family members specifically. Yes. Yeah. And because I didn't have that, mm. that was like, well, even prior to that anyways, they had good homes to go to mm. because I was able to meet the families that they went to. Yeah. And uh, I really believe that they did the best job that they could do. Can I ask you, did that help you make the decision being able to meet the families? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Just seeing my kids in this, the home. Yeah. Okay. Really, really helped. So I can't imagine that. That just must have been really fucking hard to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, for the, and for the, obviously the right reasons that you're coming from that place of trying to protect them and keep them safe, right? Yeah. I mean, I think back then, if I had done it like earlier, my heart wouldn't have been in it. Mm. I probably would have eventually came back and started fighting for them back. Yeah. And doing that tug of war with them. But because I was in a place that I was ready to, to relinquish them and was ready to, to see that they could have a better life, mm. you know, than, than what I was able to give them at the time. Yeah. Because, the you know, the, I mean every stage of life is different right like mm. it's it's different today than it was back then for me right yeah. so um i just really believe that you know my my children you know they all graduated um they've all you know got jobs mm -hmm. well, except for hannah and my my oldest i don't know what happened with him but I know that they have jobs they're in real you know they're my my oldest son is married with two children. Mm -hmm. My daughter is uh, in, I just got engaged, mm -hmm. one of my daughters. And then my other one, she is with, a, you know, in a good relationship now too. So, and she, they've all got really good jobs and good supports behind them. Right on. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of time in between all of mm -hmm. that, that, you know, I, I had a lot of time to get together, to get myself together from the time that I signed those papers and mm -hmm. I was able to pack my, the, the, what do you call it? The welfare system. They mm -hmm. gave me three months to move out of the townhouse okay. from the time that my kids were apprehended. Yep. So I was able to pack all their stuff and give them, give each and every one all their stuff to the kids mm. you know I, I managed to be able to do that and I was ma I managed to get myself into back into AA mm. at that time and I was also volunteer I was also volunteering at um, a homeless soup kitchen downtown mm. just to kind of keep myself busy and out of my head because mm. <laughs> yeah I don't think I could stay in that place without my kids like mm. alone all the time like I always had to come home alone but yeah yeah. But being there constantly would have been really hard. Yeah. 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 So, um, so after I got, um, all their stuff packed and out of there, um, you know what? I honestly don't even remember because, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of, how do you say it? Like blockage in my life mm -hmm. where I blocked out a lot of stuff. Yeah. But, um, I would have to say at the last, like, when I came to Calgary in 2010, this was my first time coming to Calgary. Other, otherwise, me and this other guy that I was, I had been seeing throughout the time. This time, we were um, hitchhiking back and forth from Winnipeg to BC, mm. and we never came to Calgary. And 
never knew why. <laughs> Didn't ask questions, mm. you know, whatever. We were just on an adventure, and, you know, yeah, doing what we were going to do, you know, and it was supposed to be fun. Um, but he was quite um, very, very abusive. Mm. And um, I met his dad. I, I got to meet his dad. I got to meet his foster mom and his sisters um, out in BC. Um, he, his dad was in Cranbrook, BC, and his mom was out in um, Trail, BC, hmm. their family, his family. And from there, um, I'm just gonna kind of jump through that because um, there was just a lot of back and forth, back and forth, mm -hmm. right? And, um, the last, the last, the very, very last time that I went, I went to his, um, to go out and see him. I, um, ended up, uh, going to his dad's place first. And his dad told me, he says, please don't go back to him. And I didn't listen. And I ended up back at his place with him. And, um, for about a week or so, um, he, uh, he wouldn't let me go. He, blocked the door he mm. locked me inside the place uh inside his place and he held he held me against my will and uh he beat me severely from head to toe um he threatened me he threatened my family he threatened my children saying that if i had told till if i ever got away that if i told somebody that he would kill me and my family my kids and i believed him after a week and how one day I kind of just kind of something clicked and I realized that there was nobody going to come and find me mm. because people were so used to me just getting up and disappearing mm -hmm. that they would think that I would just come back after a while. Yeah. Right. And it was such a habit of mine that it clicked in my head that there was nobody going to come and mm -hmm. realize I was going to, I was in trouble. So one day I, one day I made, like, I cleaned the house, and I made a nice dinner, and I said, can we go for a walk? So we went for a walk around in in the, where the cabins were at night, so nobody would see me with him. But he took my shoes away, so I couldn't run. Hmm. And then I decided I was going to run anyways, and he hmm. grabbed me, and he dragged me back inside, and he blocked me um, in. And so... Um, so it was a couple of days later I did the same thing and I said okay can we like please just go for a walk you know I need to go for a walk and that and we ended up he ended up saying yes and he was sober the whole time I think we had maybe one joint the whole mm. time that I was together so it, he couldn't have said that it was alcohol or drugs or anything like mm. that that made him do it um and we ended up walking down the the um this was in Hope BC we ended up down Hope Old Hope Road and we came up, there was a gas station, and there was um, an old abandoned place. And in kind of beside the building, there was these two black figures standing there. And I actually started darting towards the gas station, and something made me turn towards those guys. And I ran up to those guys, and they said, "What is wrong?" And I said, "I need, I, I need help." And I said, "This, I said, this guy had my, my." boyfriend at the time I said had me and he wouldn't let me go and he left he left and they were the ones that phoned the police mm -hmm. and stayed with me until the police came and then I went 
they drove me all the way to Agassiz, uh, first to the hospital in Chilliwack, mm -hmm. got checked, and then they took me to a, a safe house in Agassiz. Mm. Wow, that's good fortune. You might not be here otherwise, hey? No. Wow. No. So. Wow. So then I ended up back, um, back home. I ended up going back home after leaving because I didn't want to be BC no more. And I found out that his court date was coming up because they were keeping, like they were keeping tabs on me, you know, like mm. um, I actually, before, oops, before I went home, <laughs> I went to, um, um, not Chilliwack, but I, I went to, I I can't remember the place where it's called. Somewhere in BC I went to and um, ended up staying there for a while. I got a place, you know, blah, blah, blah. The story mm -hmm. goes on. You know, I ended up drinking and losing my place, ending up on the street. Then I ended up in a, and I ended up in a place, um, what's it called? One of those places that open up their houses and they got, they got, um, clean and sober people living in there but mm. i would sort of like that 1845 like, a, like 1835 yeah, like a treatment center kind of thing yeah stuff yeah. like that right okay so i um i ended up staying there i got sober uh for a very long time but i was also really i was still pretty like i think i was more in shock like mm. I mean, I knew what happened to me, but I didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. So I just kind of shoved it down and just like didn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's some I, complex trauma you've been through, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I ended up actually. It was Abbotsford. That's where I was mm -hmm. in. Okay. And then I. And then finally, I left BC. I, I left back home to Winnipeg. I got, you know, I, I don't know how I could keep doing this, but I mm. ended up like getting a place and then losing the place, you know, and it's always because of alcohol and drugs mm. that I've always lost my places. You know, the moment I start drinking, I lose my place. Yeah. You know, I end up right back on the streets homeless. And so in two, so then I'll come back to now where I'm 2010 and I came first time to Calgary, and um, it wasn't until uh, 2000 and I think 12, 2012, when I went home, got a job, lost my place, came back to Calgary, decided to come back to Calgary, and um, as I was coming into the drop-in center in inside their gates, I seen my ex for the very first time, the mm. one that took me hostage and hope you see and I ended up asking this friend to walk me into the into in back into the thing so that he wouldn't approach me because he was just gonna walk right up to me and he called my name and he was like you know gonna act like nothing happened mm -hmm. and and I froze and of course I had finally I had somebody that took me in and um I asked I started inquiring people to help me there and they refused me. They, uh, the counselors there apparently knew him, and they said he's not doing anything to you. He's not done anything to you. So why did you just leave him alone? Hmm. And I told, I started telling them what had happened. And um, I realized after, after it went up to the, the fifth floor, that they were all, 
going to tell me the same thing that I was, they told me I was crazy, that I needed help, mm -hmm. that, you know, he was not doing anything and they didn't, you know, they didn't see no threat there. So I went into the courts, not realizing at first that I needed a restraining order for every single province. Mm -hmm. So I went into the back to the courts here in Calgary and I told them my story. I told them what happened. They went and they got all, they got all from the reports, from the police, from the hospital, whatever they could get, you mm -hmm. know, from the um, victim service worker that I was working with, getting counseling from, and it all came back that I, they gave me a, they first gave me a six month order mm -hmm. to, for him to stay out. And then that, and then they gave me a one year and at that one year, they I, they said that you got to get somebody to serve him these papers, right? Mm. So I took it back to the DI, and it turned out that the drop-in center they took they had me in the security office, and they pulled him into the security office, and they told him hand the papers over. And when the judge found out, they said that that was not supposed to happen. So they made you do it. They made me do yeah, it. Yeah, that's definitely not a good idea. Yeah. The whole point of having someone else do it is to avoid that emotional turmoil, right? That, and it's, it's, um... Well, not to mention the risk to you. <laughs> I didn't yeah, mean to say that, because yeah, no. that, to me that's obvious, is that yeah. there's risk to you, yeah. so you wouldn't do it, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I've... Fuck, some, some places, man, they just fucking boggle the mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, um... <laughs> So I've been, I've, you know, I, I, I was thankful that I got into another place. Um, I, w I went to the, the mustard seed. I didn't mm -hmm. realize that there was other places other than the DI. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know nothing about Calgary. You know, I just thought it was this big, huge city that I was coming from, from the small little city called Winnipeg. And there was a lot more here. And, uh, you know, but I came here with, you know, hopes that I was going to, you know, try to get some school and some work mm. and and I did I, I I managed to get a job um when I was this at this one time when I was four and a half years sober I mm. was I was able to get a job as um I would say it's a maintenance worker but it's kind of a little bit more than that because it was uh taking care of commercial buildings the air the mm. the, the heat the, the you know the air conditioning systems it was everything mm -hmm. so I didn't know exactly what I was doing but they also put you through school mm -hmm. this company so I went through this program through state and it was outside of outside of state program that was run and it was a fifth class power engineering mm -hmm. um I wasn't able to get the fifth class but I was able to get my second or my um what is it called um it's just like a, sec a second thing, second class thing that I was able to get through the power engineering that I could keep my job and mm -hmm. continue to work on it. Still go to, I was going, so I was going to school, working full time, had my own place. And then I met a guy on the street that mm -hmm. I thought was really, really nice. And he ended up turning out to be um, a really, like he, he had a, uh, issues with hoarding. So he was bringing sh crap to my house that he was finding on the street, mm -hmm. and it was getting more and more and more, right? And I ended up making a mistake at my job one day because I wanted to leave work quickly, right? It was Friday. I thought, well, I could ask him to come in and help me, you know, 
you know, get, get the pipes back on or whatever, because mm-hmm. I was fixing a sink. And because I took him into, um, a place that was only for like, like I could only go, I was only had the access to go into mm-hmm. the, the people found out and they told my boss, which was right for them to do. And I admitted that I had taken this person into, um, a locked area where mm-hmm. he wasn't supposed to be. And they immediately let me go at that point and gave me my walking papers. But at the same time, they also didn't say that I was fired so mm-hmm. I could get EI to yeah. live off of. So, um, yeah. So from there, I, I ended up back out drinking. Mm-hmm. I, um, it wasn't until I actually lost my job and, and, and lost my apartment that I started drinking mm-hmm. this time. And, um, just kind of quickly fast forward through that part. I went I ended up um, the drop-in center. I stayed there for a month. I went to the Salvation Army for the women in Westbrook. I stayed there for a month. I ended up getting into a program. I stayed there for I think two months before I got kicked out because I was in I was um, um, how do you say it? I, I aggressive behavior they mm-hmm. called it, and um, I. I was. I was mm-hmm. very aggressive. That was my mechanism of dealing, you know, to keep myself safe. Absolutely. So, um, and then I went from there, I went back to the drop-in center, and then I went back to the Salvation Army, and then I went into the program for the the second part of their program, and from there, COVID was just almost starting. Mm. And it was, a, I think it was two weeks and I phone, I started putting in my applications and for like the dream center, Oxford house, all these, um, places that I could think of getting myself into to get help. And the dream centers came and they said that, you know, if, you know, we, we have places Mm -hmm. that you could go to and, um, they, the, I phoned the, the director or whoever it was, the, um, person who wasn't, um, involved in getting the applications ready. And he told me one thing one time and he, and at this time I was in the adult mental health. I don't know what it's called, but it's like you go there for day programs hmm, downtown. Okay. And yeah. I was in, I was like a week away from graduating or something. I'm not really sure how long I was in program but it was four week it was four week program and he told me this one thing and he says you got to go down to the oh it's on the C train line across from city hall oh the source source and they said you have to fill out these papers and you have to get at um some sort of test done or something Mm. in order to get into our program so in the midst of my day program and and um, everything else, going to program like AA and stuff like that, I went down, filled out these things, and a week later they came back to me and they said, "We have a bed for you, hmm. like we have a place for you now." Right so on. I moved into the Dream Center, mm-hmm. Dream Center housing, and from there I uh, stayed there for a year. And then I moved into another place and that was a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm in, I'm now in my own place and I, um, I am, 
on the 22nd of December, I will be two and a half years sober. Right on. So congratulations. That is my story. Thank you. Yes, and I am in AA, and I still have a program and yeah. sponsor, and yeah. So if if there uh, if there's anyone out there listening, like what would you tell people like that? Maybe you could pass on something to them. If they maybe haven't reached out, maybe they want to reach out. Maybe they don't even know they should reach out. Yeah. Um, I I would just say that the, I think the first the first thing that you just need to do is you need to build up a support system. Mm. You know, if you're in, if you're in a bad situation, find find some some way of getting yourself out and get get a get a support system that surrounds you. You know, the community has so many sources out there. Mm -hmm. They have, you know, I, I know of, um, like I've been in the program, um, in alpha house upstairs in detox. Mm -hmm. And that was a really good program. Um, I have been to, um, I, I've been to, uh, I, I forgot to bring this up, but I was mm -hmm. also in an adult teen challenge okay. in Brandon for nine, I think it was nine months. It was a one-year program. I only okay. made it to nine months. And, um, you know, there's, 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 you know, people think that mental health is like a bad thing to have. Mm -hmm. But I would say that if you're, if you're having, if you're having a lot of, uh, physical, mental, uh, um, emotional problems, I would say go to cups. Hmm. They have everything there that you could possibly ask, ask and want there. There's housing, there's doctors, mm -hmm. there's people who care, you know, and you they know. have people there that'll help you fill out the paperwork and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They will help you with the paperwork. Okay. They'll help you get, you know, like back on your feet. If you, mm -hmm. you know, um, the source is a great place to go to for help too. Right um, on. And, um, <laughs> there's just so many people out there that, ha that I reached out to mm -hmm. and allow allowed them in, you know, but it takes time. It takes a lot of time to trust people, right? Mm -hmm. Or from when you're living on the street, you don't want to, you don't trust anybody. It's, right? Well, it must be really hard. It, it is a very hard yeah. place to come out of, but yeah. yeah, it's, um, and of course the rooms, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, the recovery rooms, um, you know, I, I, I've been in and out of recovery rooms a lot, um, out for a long time and, mm -hmm. but I've always come back. It's something that's, there's been a seed planted, you know, so. Yeah. And yeah. when in doubt, I, I think I'm glad you mentioned that because when in doubt, like if you can't find like other supports, yeah, all you got to do is look for a 12 step fellowship, you yeah. know, like whether it's AACA, uh, NA, GA, whatever it is, yes. you can find, at least you'll find some people that might be able to help you. Yeah. Steer you in the right there, direction. There's always people in there that know a place yeah. that can help, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Vicki. Thank you, David, for having me. Oh, Appreciate it's our it. pleasure. Thank, thank you. Thank you.